If you'd stand with me, let's read this scripture together. It comes to us from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26, a very favored passage of scripture. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Jews. So these came to Philip, who was that who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, as Pastor Andrew comes, I pray that you would give him boldness to speak this morning as he reveals to us and shares with us the mystery of this passage. I pray, O oh God, that it would challenge our hearts, infuse life into us through it, we pray. Thank you, dear Father, for sending Jesus to be our only Savior, to die upon the cross for our sins. Truly, there was no other way. We thank you, O God, and pray in your strong name today. Amen. You may be seated. I've always been intrigued by these stories of uh, extreme survival rescue. Uh, some of you probably know some of these stories. Ernest Shackleton and his endurance over the Antarctic uh, waste. You may have heard of that. Aaron Ralston, remember this guy? Uh, he was um, in canyoning in Utah and a boulder rolled on his arm and he was trapped out there for several days. Finally, uh, he realized that he had to take this Leatherman's tool that he had with its dull knife and he sawed through his arm uh, in order that he could get out and, and get rescued. Uh, stories of, of people at sea, I think of Louis Zamperini, the Olympic runner, story is told in Unbroken, you know, shot down, drifting in the Pacific Ocean, World War II, uh, then just surviving the prisoner of war camps in Japan. Uh, just really, really tough situation. Um, Uruguay, the rugby team, like around 1972-ish or so, story was told in a book called Alive, uh, trapped in the Andes Mountains on a, on a glacier, and I mean, it, it got really extreme for several weeks. They had to eat some of the people that had deceased, and it was, it was just an extreme story, and I think you know, there's a lot of things about there's resiliency, ingenuity, people that have survived all of that. 
But the reason why I was connecting with those this week is there's just an incredible capacity as, as humans to get ourselves really lost, like really in, in dire predicaments, you know, whether it's canyons or whether it's Pacific Ocean, Andes Mountains, uh, wherever it might be, we, we have the amazing ability to get ourselves very, very lost. And we've been talking about a missions emphasis month uh, over the last few weeks. And, and part of it is because we are talking about the greatest mission that ever took place. And that was the mission that God inaugurated where uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in what we call the councils of peace uh, decided that they were going to rescue a people, us, uh, who would have this amazing ability to be so incredibly lost. Uh, that we would need the intervention of God Himself to come into this world and rescue us. Uh, this is what the, the heart of the Scriptures is. It's, it's the story of rescue. It's the story of, uh, of, of extricating a people from an otherwise sure demise. Uh, that is the story of the gospel. And what's interesting about this and, and what we want to see today uh, is, is Jesus tells us very clearly, you know, one of the things I love about Jesus' ministry is, is He is telling His listeners what He has to do. He is, he is telling them why He came. They were thinking in different lines. They were thinking about a political rescue. They were thinking about uh, a variety of other things. But Jesus is telling them, no, I've got to die. Uh, I've got to go to the cross. It is only as I go to the cross and am lifted up, as this passage is uh, highlighting for us, that is the only way that rescue is going to happen. The other thing that's interesting about this particular uh, little segment of Scripture that we're going to look at today is that not only does it highlight our lostness and the necessity for Jesus' rescue, but it also gives us the path that we are to follow as disciples of Jesus. That's what a disciple means. It means to be a follower, and that's what we are all invited into, to be Jesus' followers. But, but what does it mean to follow him? And what I find so intriguing about this passage is that Jesus says the very mission that, that I undertook in order to rescue you is also the very design for the discipleship that, that I am laying for you to follow. So I want to walk through that with you this morning. And hold on to your seats. I have four points this morning. Doesn't mean the sermon is going to be longer. I mentioned that to Zoe, and she's like, does that mean the sermon's going to be longer? Uh, no, it does not. Uh, but here's the first point. We're following Jesus on his path. Uh, you see that there in verse 26. Uh, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Uh, following Jesus is what it means to be a disciple. Now, this is hard, as we're going to see, and, and as you probably already know, uh, as uh, 
many of you I know have uh, dedicated your lives to following Jesus, surrendered your life to Him, but all of you live in this world, and, and we know navigating this world with all of its ups and downs, all of its temptations, all of the things that come into our life, we know that just living is hard. Um, but here's the good news. Uh, we are called to follow Jesus, and it's going to be hard. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we are following him, and I want to just start with that. Everything that we're talking about is something in which Jesus has cleared the way for us. Jesus has gone before us. He's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus took up his cross. Jesus went to death. Jesus went in that direction. We are always following Jesus, and that's really good news. I was thinking about this with my little dog. Some of you know that we have a little uh, 10-pound wonder. Her name is Daisy. She stands about 10 inches tall, and uh, life with two feet of snow in the backyard is difficult for her. Uh, She's got four-inch legs, and she can't really get outside unless I go ahead of her with the shovel, right, and shovel a little pathway, and then she's got her little run. She can go outside and she can do her business, Uh, but life for her is very difficult if she's not following. But if she's following, even in conditions where it's bitter cold, even in conditions where Uh, the snow would threaten to overwhelm her, Uh, she can still go forward out into that environment. And that's the first thing that we need to remember. We are following Jesus. He has gone ahead of us. He has cleared the way. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but we we start with the fact that we're following him. Now, it's not going to be easy because notice the path that we're on is one of descent. I, I haven't given you a lot of uh, sort of orientation to where this passage falls. Uh, we're in John chapter 12. Um, this is uh, the beginning of what we call the book of glory. The first 11 chapters of the book of John are what we call the book of signs. Uh, we've seen some of those signs the wedding at Cana, uh, the healing of the royal official son that we looked at last week, the feeding of the 5,000. These are some of the signs, the I am statements where Jesus is declared, um, sort of uh, teaching us about who he is. Those are all in the book of signs. It culminates with the raising of Lazarus from the dead where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's the culmination of the book of signs. And now what we start is the book of glory where the glory of Jesus is going to be unfolded, unveiled for his people. And we're going to see that in several ways. It starts with the triumphal entry. Uh, This is the passage that immediately precedes what we read today, the triumphal entry of Jesus, continues on through his washing of the disciples' feet, the high priestly prayer, his crucifixion, his death, his commissioning his disciples for um, their mission as they follow him. All of that is the glory of God that is revealed. And it's interesting here that Jesus connects this with his mission. So uh, here the, the Lazarus has just been raised. Uh, Mary has anointed Jesus at 
Bethany. Jesus has entered Jerusalem to loud acclaim. People are saying, he is the king. He is the Messiah. The Pharisees, who feel threatened in their uh, political situation and in their uh, sort of societal power, they feel threatened and they say, uh, we're gaining nothing. Uh, the whole world is going after Jesus. And this is one of those instances when they say more than they mean to say. Uh, but there is this situation here in which everything seems to be coming together for Jesus. But it's at this point that he says, I'm going to die. I am going to die. It's, it's really, it's one of those interesting moments. Uh, the Greeks come. The whole world is going after Jesus. So some Greeks come, and, and they uh, go to Philip. Philip and Andrew take them to Jesus. They said, sir, we, we want to see Jesus. Philip and Andrew tell Jesus this. And, and Jesus says, uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Kind of a very strange answer. Uh, where Jesus replies in this way, it reminds us a little bit of John chapter 2, where you had the mother of Jesus coming to Jesus and saying, they're, they're out of wine, and he says, woman, why are you bringing this to me? My hour has not come yet. What is Jesus talking about whenever he talks about the hour? He's talking about his death. Uh, and it's really interesting that Jesus is just so focused on his death, the hour. It's mentioned a couple of other times, a couple of times in chapter 4, chapter 7, verse 30, chapter 8, verse 20. It's always talking about uh, the ministry of his death. If you look down in verse 27, if you have your Bibles open, it wasn't printed for you. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this very purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So when Jesus thinks about his mission, as people are coming to him and he's receiving this acclaim uh, on an earthly level, he is immediately saying, this is the path that I have to walk. My path is the path of death. He explains it. He gives this image from the agricultural society. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone or it remains alone. But if it dies, uh, it bears much fruit. And he's speaking to them. He's saying, I want you to follow me, but understand, understand that where I'm going is the cross. My, my, my sole focus for what I have come to do is to go to the cross. And this is not an easy thing. Like, this is one of the, I think, one of the dangers for us who have been around church a lot, and uh, I know that qualifies many of you. We talk about the cross, and, and we just sort of talk about the cross kind of, kind of glibly, and, and we don't really think about what it meant. We think about what it meant from a human perspective. Just to be crucified in that way was very difficult, but that was nothing compared to what Jesus went, uh, underwent from a spiritual perspective. You know, he, he says in verse 27, he says, now is my soul troubled. 
And, and when he says troubled, he really means now is my soul anguished. Now is my soul revulsed. It's a very strong word there in the Greek. And, and we get a precursor of his prayer in Gethsemane where he says, Father, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. Uh, and, and that itself is a precursor to uh, what we hear on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he feels so deeply because what he is undergoing is so hard. What he is undergoing is the wrath of God poured out against the sin of the world. And Jesus is undergoing that. So the path that he is asking us to follow is a path of ultimate death. It's a path of complete surrender. Jesus completely surrendered himself to the will of the Father. Uh, and it was something that troubled, anguished his soul as he looked at that. And that's something that we need to grasp in, in a number of, uh, of different ways. One, we, we just need to appreciate the love that the Trinity has for humanity. Again, I mean, to be able to plan from the very foundations of the world the rescue that it would take. You know, to send the second person of the Trinity into the world in order to become sin, in order to redeem the world. There's just an incredible dedication on the part of this triune God to save a world that doesn't really deserve it. Uh, we don't really deserve it, but God enacted this mission in order to save but the second thing is, is that Jesus, as I've already said, connects his death with ours. We, we see that very clearly in these next verse. Whoever loves his life uh, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. Where I am, he says, or if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, will my servant be also, uh, Jesus here is saying death. Death is the path that we must follow. Uh, death is the path that is prescribed in order uh, that we might have life. Now, that shouldn't, be that shouldn't be surprising to us given what Jesus did. Again, he's clearing the way. He's setting the steps for us to follow into. But it is still hard, and our souls should be troubled over this. Uh, the fact that he is calling us to come and to die. What is it that we are asked to die to? Well, uh, there are many things, right? There, there have been Christians throughout the ages who have been asked to lay down their physical life. I think about uh, the Colosseum uh, in Rome and the number of Christians uh, that were simply sent there because they professed uh, Jesus Christ as Lord instead of professing Caesar as Lord. We think about missionaries and some of their stories are on these table and this table over here as we've been going through this mission month who have landed 
landed on foreign shores, met with a people who didn't understand them, whose cultures were different, and they uh, killed those missionaries at that point. Uh, sometimes people have been asked to give life in that way. Uh, we are all asked to die to sin, uh, to die to the things that uh, speak to a, a life outside of what God has given for us. Maybe it's a, a moral failure. Uh, we think about things like alcoholism, pornography. We think about things like greed, racism, all of those things. We're asked to die to these things. Uh, but the reality is, like all of those things I just mentioned are, are what we call fruit sins, uh, these are things that uh, are stemming from a heart that wants to be in control. It's stemming from a heart that maybe has fears, maybe has anxieties, but it's hard for us. And there's lots of reasons why it's hard for us. Uh, it's hard for us to surrender uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that is the death that Jesus is calling us uh, to undergo. It's a death to self in order that we might throw ourselves completely on the Lord Jesus and allow His life to come through us. Some of you know what I mean. I really think this is one of those things that the Spirit is to help us see. And so, you know, I always pray as I'm trying to communicate these things that the Spirit would help us to see what that looks like in our life. Uh, some of it, like I said, maybe big things. Maybe right now you're thinking about uh, a way of living that you need to die to. Uh, it, it, it's protruding and intruding on your life in significant way. Uh, and you know that you need to die to this thing in order to enjoy the life that Jesus promises. But it might be a small thing. You know, I, I think about the ways that we navigate the hard things of this life. You know, sometimes we navigate them through, uh, through anger, uh, we, we use anger to get us through the difficult things of life. We, we use worry. We, we use avoidance. We use overeating. We use all sorts of different things in order to get us through the difficult places in life. And part of what Jesus is calling us to, He's inviting us to, He's saying, will you die to these things? Because if you hold on to them, you're going to lose your life. Now, when Jesus says whoever loves life, hates life, he's not talking about sort of our physical life and hating it. You know, from a Christian perspective, we would say, uh, you know, with regards to physical life, we're, we're pro-life from womb to tomb and all that that entails. Uh, what Jesus is talking about here is an absolute surrender to the Lord. Uh, loving and hating, it's kind of a Semitic way of articulating what is the most important thing to you. And Jesus says, if this life and what you can get out of it is the most important thing to it, to you, that's all you're going to get. And, and, and what you experience now is the height of what you will experience. But Jesus says, if, if, if loving God 
and surrendering your life to him is the ultimate thing, then you will get so much more. Uh, and, and that's the, the next thing that I want to talk about as we go through this path. So we're invited to follow Jesus. He's setting the way. Uh, the way that he's setting is one in which we're called to come and to die. But the third thing that we need to notice is that dying is glory. Uh, the descent that we're asked to take is glory. And notice, I did not say dying is the pathway to glory. Dying is glory itself. Notice how Jesus says it in verse 23. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Where is the glory of God coming? Well, the glory of God is coming, as he says a little bit later in, in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, that is when my glory will be revealed. That is when I will draw all men and women to myself. That is the glory. And, and this is the thing that just kind of turns our way of thinking in this world on its head. Uh, you, you heard Confex talk a little bit about suffering uh, and, and sort of the way that many false teachers, I've been with Confex on a number of occasions, he talks about the false teaching that has uh, impacted Malawi. And, and, and false teachers are saying, if you pay $100, uh, we'll pray for you and then your epilepsy will go away or your cerebral palsy, I think he said, uh, will go away. Uh, but that's a way of thinking about suffering that says suffering is something that is just to be eradicated in this life, and, and the gospel is something to be manipulated so that uh, the suffering can be eradicated. But that's not actually what Jesus says. If that was the case, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. He could have figured out some other way of redeeming humanity. But Jesus goes to the cross because this is the glory. This is uh, the manifestation of love, of obedience that the Son has to the Father, that the Trinity comes together to enact. This is the manifestation. And as Jesus goes this path, His glory is revealed. And that means incredible things for us. It doesn't take away the difficulty of it. I mean, I've already said, Jesus says, my soul is troubled by what I have to go through. It is hard. It is difficult. But what it means is that there is glory even in the walking through that difficulty. It's not something that we just simply try to avoid. It's not something simply that we grin and bear it our way through. You think about Greek philosophy. You had the Epicureans who said, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Just avoid pain. You know, do, do whatever you can to avoid pain. Then you had the Stoics who said, you just grin and bear it. You get through it. Life is hard. You've, you've got to just do it. But the gospel is saying something very different, saying the world is broken, but I have come into this world so that 
even in your suffering, even in the difficult places of life, the glory of God is being revealed. You know, that's, this is what Jesus is saying. There's, there's really four things about the glory, but one of the things that he says about the glory is in verse 26. You know, where, where, my, where I am, my servants will be also. You know, when we, when we go through suffering, surrendered to Jesus, embracing that, uh, not as something good in and of itself, but embracing Jesus in the midst of that, we show forth the glory that he has. We participate in his sufferings so that uh, we can know him in that moment and his strength, his power is revealed through us. So it's just very different than thinking of suffering as the pathway to glory. It's actually stopping and saying, okay, when we are dying, in our moments of dying, just like Jesus, then we are lifting high the gospel uh, in a way that is attractive to the world. This is hard. I mean, this is a mystery. I, I'm not saying that, that this is just really easy, okay, go out, you've got it, do it. Uh, but I'm inviting you into really wrestling with that because I do think it offers answers that the world doesn't have. It, it's funny how the more things change, the more things stay the same. You know, the Epicureans and the Stoics never really left us. <laughs> You know, those are the answers that the world gives. You either avoid pain and suffering, you know, just deaden it, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die, or you grin and bear it. And that's the best the world has to offer. But the gospel comes to us and says, life is hard. I know because I've been there. And I'm inviting you to come with me, to participate in my sufferings so that you might participate in my comfort, that you might participate in my glory as it is revealed. It's, again, it's very deep, but I hope that it is some encouragement to you. R.C. Sproul says it, it wasn't that the passion was a pathway to glory. No, there was glory in the passion. How could this be? How could the cross be the moment which the Son of Man was lifted up and glorified? Because in his death on the cross, he was obeying the Father, glorifying the Father, and all who obey the Father and give glory to the Father uh, are honored by the Father. I said there were different uh, sort of hints of glory. One is that we are with Jesus. Also, verse 26, you see the Father honors those who, who uh, throw themselves on Jesus. Verse 23, we see that when the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears fruit. Uh, we also recognize uh, that uh, we are with Jesus, as we've already mentioned. And this then bears on into eternal life. And that's what these Greeks pick up on. You know, the, the Pharisee says, the whole world has gone after Jesus. He's saying more than he thought. You know, he was just saying, like, everybody's following him. Uh, but John uses that opportunity as he's putting it together his gospel under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to say, and there were some Greeks there. And they came to Philip 
Probably because Philip had a a Greek name, he was from the north, maybe where they had a little bit more of the the lingua franca, the the Hellenistic vibe where they spoke Greek. They came to Philip, they said, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and got Andrew. Uh, Philip and Andrew together bring these folks to Jesus and, and they introduce him to this. And this is always the mission that Jesus has had. Remember, back in John 2, his hour was tied up with being the sacrifice that would draw the whole world, uh, Jews and Gentiles. And, and here we see these Greeks, Gentiles, who come to Jesus and, and who want to see, want to understand this story that he is playing out. What, what I love about this is just how they are attracted to Jesus. They're attracted to what is going on. They, they see somebody who's very different than anybody that they have ever seen, and they want to understand. And, and uh, there, there's just something for us to, to grab hold of here, the way that Jesus uh, in, grabs a hold of uh, this moment and speaks about the glories of the gospel. There are so many, and I love the way that Bruce Milne, who is a commentator, puts this. There are so many sensitive and thoughtful people in the world that are desiring deeper truth than what Stoicism, Epicureanism, anything that the world can offer them. The way Milne puts it is this. These Greeks represent the many sensitive and thoughtful non-Jews in the first century who are attracted to Judaism. They're drawn by the simplicity and credibility of the Jewish theology, particularly compared with the multiple deities of Greek and pagan religions. The monotheism of Israel was attractive and persuasive. Judaism also appealed at the moral level, where its strong ethical emphasis on the obedience uh, to the law of God centered on the great moral imperatives of the Decalogue, Ten Commandments, was clearly superior to the often questionable behavior of the Greek deities and the general tendency in popular religion to separate religion from morality. I, I know that was a lot of words there. But what I love about that is the way that he says there's so many sensitive and thoughtful people who are outside in the world. We're we're thinking about Africa today. You know, so many sensitive and thoughtful people, people whose cultures differ from us but are very beautiful, very beautiful from the way that they dress, the way that they express things. There's so many folks uh, that inhabit our world, and they're looking for cohesion. They're looking for a way to make sense of, of this world with its suffering. They're looking for good news of rescue. And they're coming and they're saying, brothers, sisters, we would see Jesus. We, we want to see him. We, we want to know him. We want to understand what it is that he has come to do. And so part of what we're saying with the, with the Mission Emphasis Month is that we need to be Philip and Andrew. You know, Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. You know, whether it was his, his brother Peter, whether it was uh, the, the, the little boy with the loaves and the fishes, he was always bringing people to Jesus. He was available to be used. He didn't become the, the cornerstone of the church. 
But his mission of bringing people to Jesus was certainly central to the mission of the church. And that's the invitation here, to be, to be folks that are, are willing to be used to bring people to Jesus, the sensitive and thoughtful people that inhabit Grand Rapids, that are outside of the church for various reasons, maybe some of them very understandable. Uh, the sensitive and thoughtful people that inhabit Malawi, that inhabit Peru, that inhabit China, all these other places. We see in China just this resurgence of people. I mean, millions of people coming to know the Lord of the gospel because they are finding answers to life that communism cannot give them. They are finding answers to life that secular ideologies cannot give them. Sir, we, we would see Jesus. And like Philip and Andrew, we say, come, let us introduce you to this one who has called us to follow him, but he has cleared the way. It was his death, his resurrection. It, it was his willing to be glorified in that way, his willingness to be glorified in that way, that gives us life and that gives us hope. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this encourages you as we come to this, both in your own personal walk with Jesus, uh, as well as in the mission that he has called us as a church to engage in. You know, in our community, in our family, here, uh, to, to hold forth the, the beauties of this gospel. And it's hard. I recently ran across a, an article. A man was talking about prison ministry. He talks about how prison ministry often has this sort of quid pro quo aspect to it. Like if you do this, then you get that. And he said, that, you know, it's so much not the gospel. But he said, for me, one of the things that uh, prison ministry has taught me is that I often think that way. If I mess up, I think I've got to do better next time. If I even find myself in a place where I'm acknowledging these things to, before God, I think, well, I better show my fruits of repentance. We're always thinking this way. But he said, part of what ministering in the jail has taught me is that the gospel comes into our life with no strings attached, other than come and die. Just surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is something beautiful about that. He concludes his article this way. He says, a human being living in the midst of his or her demons, held all the while by the steadfast and endless grasp of God. A human being living in the midst of his or her demons, going forward, messing up, but surrendered, held in the endless grace, endless grasp of God. Somehow, the simplicity of this ministry still has legs. Sir, we would see Jesus. Let us show Jesus as he is crucified for us. Let us show Jesus as he is risen to our glorification. Let us show Jesus uh, as he comes into our lives. And that's why we have this table. 
because all of the things that we've talked about, the presence of Jesus, the glory in his death, all of it comes to this place. And so, brothers and sisters, I would ask those of you who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to eat and drink to your encouragement. Uh, Jim Visser has uh, some elements. If you do have not received an element yet, if you can just raise your hand and we will get them distributed. There's definitely people in both wings, Jim, so uh, you'll have to make a trip both ways. But let me just, again, tie us together to the, the promises that are here. As you walk through life and you experience suffering, yep, you got it. As you experience suffering, remember Jesus has gone there first. As we partake of this, we remember that Jesus has gone ahead of us. As we uh, experience uh, our, our, our walking through life, remember that Jesus is with us. Where I am, my servants will be also. And all of these promises come to you this day in this meal that we could partake of as we go forward. But let me just say a word to, to those of you who haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. And I know that there may be uh, some here this morning. Because it's not an easy thing to do. You know, when Jesus says, come and die, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to that. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is the best thing that you'll ever do. And so I would encourage you this morning, don't take the, the cup and the bread, which are symbols of the fact that we've given our life to Jesus. Don't take them if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus because you don't want to say something false. But understand the invitation is for you to say, Jesus, I don't totally understand this path to glory that you took, but I see something beautiful there and I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And I, I, I confess, I, I turn away from all of these other things that I have been putting ahead of you. I want to be with you. And if that's your prayer, I promise you it's a prayer that the Lord loves to hear. So don't take the bread and wine if you haven't made that prayer. But make that prayer I'd love to talk to you. Others would be happy to talk to you as well. And we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Sir, we, we want to see Jesus. Will you pray with me as we set aside these elements for the Lord's work in our life? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the bread and the wine. We thank you for what they mean for us. We thank you for the, the glory that is displayed even here at this meal. We pray that on this first Sunday in Lent that our, our eyes would be focused on you, that we would be looking ahead as you were to the cross. We would be realizing the depths of the glory uh, that come with you. Father, we pray uh, for those that, that do not know you in a saving way, whether they are here in Grand Rapids, whether they are throughout the world. We think of our brothers and sisters in Malawi. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would go ahead of your word, do the work in people's life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took the bread and breaking it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. I invite you, brothers and sisters, to take the bread, to take it, to eat it, 
to remember, to believe that Jesus' death was for His glory and for yours. Take and eat. The same way after the supper, our Lord took the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The psalmist says, I lift high the cup of salvation. Brothers and sisters, I invite you, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, lift high the cup of salvation and may you know that you belong to him. He is with you. You are with him. Take and drink, all of you. Will you join me in a prayer of thanksgiving? Oh, Lord, we are so grateful uh, that you have come to us, that you minister to us, that you have not left us alone. You have not left us as orphans, uh, but you have come and you've given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Uh, you've given us this sacrament in order that we might uh, be strengthened as we walk the path uh, that you have laid for us. Lord, I, I don't know what that means in, in my life. Uh, I know some things, but not all of it. I certainly don't know what it means for all of these friends here. But Lord, we ask that you would give us all that we stand in need of today, this week, uh, that we would know that whatever, wherever our path lays, uh, that you have gone ahead of us and that you are strengthening us and that there is glory tied up in following you. Father, we do pray for the gospel as it goes throughout the world. Uh, we think about it even as we get ready to bring our gifts, our tithes and offerings into uh, the plate. Lord, we ask that you would use them in the service of your kingdom. We've been praying for Africa, all the, the sensitive and thoughtful and beautiful people that inhabit that continent. Lord, we ask that uh, they, would be, uh, they would be invited afresh into a relationship with you, that they would find the cohesion, that they would find the hope that uh, walking with you uh, is, and we ask that you would bless that ministry of Confex as well as others. Father, we pray for the ministry of the Word as it goes out from this place. We pray for us as a congregation. Lord, we pray that you would unify us around this gospel, that we wouldn't be merely satisfied being friends, or, uh, but that we would be truly drawn into the story, that we would be sent out, that we would be motivated to share what you have given us uh, with those that are around us.